Welcome to Peer Talk, a dialogue with business owners just like you. Peer Talk conversations run the gamut of business challenges facing owners today. The host of Peer Talk is Dan Crowley, founder and owner of Peer Executive Groups, which provides a safe space for owners to share their experience, grow their businesses, and learn from their peers. Okay, welcome to Peer Talk. There are a number of great business owners out there, just like yourself, who would love to share their experiences with you, and we hope to give them a voice. Welcome to Peer Talk. Uh, today we have a very special um, podcast for you. We have Kurt Barney with us from Vandalia Rental. So Kurt and I will be discussing his company, his origins uh, with his company, as well as um, really the board of advisors that he has in place. And he may have a different name for that, but uh, we have a number of members uh, who are currently in the process of this. And I know that uh, Vandalia has had some success. So um, Kurt, welcome. And um, I just want to start by um, asking you a little bit about your background. Um, if you could just speak to us about, you know, when you started with the industry rental and, uh, and how you kind of um, grew up in the Vandalia system. Yeah, certainly. The, so my father is a second generation. The, my grandfather started our company in 61. So I could make the argument that I, when I was born in 81 is when I started in the industry because a lot of the, the projects around the house is where I became initially familiar with the equipment. But unofficially, I worked uh, the majority of the summers growing up in the business, starting with the, just mowing the grass, cleaning the ashtrays, and then ultimately working on the on-off rent team, inside sales, uh, a short stint as mechanic, driver, just to learn the different facets of the business. So then I was not allowed to come back to the business until certain criteria had been met, one of which is I had to attain a four-year degree. So I shipped off to college, worked some of the summers in between, um, graduated, and then I was still not invited back until I'd worked somewhere else for a period of time. Did that and rejoined the company officially in late 2004 full-time. Gotcha. Okay. So in 2004, you come back and um, at this time, who's running the company? Is your father running it or? My father is running it. Yes. Okay. And, and did he have lieutenants as well or was it more of a, it was his show and they had a bunch of employees who reported to him? No, he had a, a core group of individuals that were his strategy team, if you will, that helped guide him and coach him through some of the decisions that needed made within the business. I would say that he still had the dominant decision-making capacity mm -hmm. at those folks in place. Gotcha. And you, and you evolved uh, in your role in the company. I believe um, you took the, the lead maybe in 2011. Why don't you tell us about those seven years? What was that like? What were some of the things you were doing? When I was first invited back, I, I had to wait until an open position was posted that I could apply for and a purchasing role became available. So I was hired in, had one of the more awkward interviews of my life with my father and ultimately was offered a position. So I started in purchasing in 04. We had just built an addition where we were looking to move into the supply side of the business. <laughs> and we built that up a little bit up until about 2007 until a, uh, a desk showed up one day and it got moved into my old man's office. And we basically 
started playing Battleship um, for the next three years. He told me that, you know, you need to learn to ask questions because I'm not 100% sure how to teach you, but this is the best way I know to do it. So we transitioned slowly and incrementally over time. He just started allowing me to do more and coaching and mentoring me through the journey until 2008 when things got a little choppier in the waters, which was really the best learning and transition environment you could have asked for in hindsight. And I definitely mean that kind mm-hmm. of And then in 2009, we started uh, our successional process early. I was still in my 20s at the time. And then in 2011, we finalized that and I moved into the president's role. Gotcha. Okay. And then, so in 2011, uh, as you're coming into the president's role, why don't you um, tell the audience, tell our uh, members here, our listeners, um, what that was like in terms of introducing, why don't you introduce us to the concept of your board um, and, and how that was introduced to you? Absolutely. Well, as I mentioned a second ago, I was in my 20s when this was taking place. And that's atypical, I think, at least in our industry, from a successional and transition time. Yes, I would say. <laughs> One of the concerns that uh, was shared from my father and, um, and frankly, his bankers was just that is, is my youth and, and inexperience within a leadership role within this industry. So we uh, made the decision, and by we, I mean my father made the decision that there would be additional criteria that would have to take place and to hold myself accountable and to make sure that we were strategic in our approach to this. One of the things through our succession that was uh, recommended to us was to set up a board of advisors so that I had a structured set of accountability, but we didn't move into a director's role because that's what not what we wanted to do uh, from the business at that stage. I think also uh, just a quick pause here. Um, there are some legalities around having a board of directors versus a board of advisors. There's more liability with directors. Um, and I think that, you know, it's important for everybody to understand that and research that part of it. Absolutely. This uh, board of advisors, certainly a, a crawl before you sprint. Gotcha. Okay, great. And so when that happened, um, was it just voila, you ended up walking into a room one day and there were 10 people or how did that evolve? <laughs> no, that was a journey in alone by itself, Dan. <laughs> um, we, through our transitional process, we enlisted the help of a, an organization named Erlon. And one of the, the services that they provided was how to set up a board of advisors. So we really had a coach through that process that was in, incredibly valuable in those early stages because you really don't know how to do it. And there's, at least in our end, there was a lot of intimidation about doing it. Mm-hmm. And um, who, how would you find these caliber individuals that would be willing to work at that level uh, for little old us uh, in that capacity? So we enlisted their services. They handheld us through the beginning and they, they taught us how to put together a, a marketing brochure, a SWOT analysis, tell our story, uh, a three-year plan, and basically a small brochure about how to attract and, and retain these individuals and what the expectations should be on both sides. So I would say they were incredibly valuable. 
they also taught us some of the structure that needed to be there, the legalese of the, the hold harmless, non-disclosures, non-competes, confidentiality, that stuff. And then the how to establish term limits and meritoriums, which is compensation for the meeting and just the overall infrastructure so that you didn't feel like you were flying blind. Gotcha. So, so from an organization standpoint, uh, first off, amazing that uh, a consultant is available to have that kind of conversation with an owner. I wasn't actually aware that that could happen, but that obviously makes sense on the strategic uh, consultant level. Um, and and you had brought up a couple of interesting comments. You made the you you said the word term limits and moratorium. I think you said right. Is that a Meritorium. Merit, yeah. I believe it's a fancy word for compensation. Got it. Got it. Okay. So tell us about what that means. What, why are term limits important? Term limits are important because I believe over time, most people will form relationships. And mm-hmm. articulated to us was if you can't get what you need out of these individuals in three years, you really have gotten all you're going to get. So what we have found having a board that is turned over a couple times now is that you, you do develop these relationships and there becomes a comfortability with those relationships but also you extend your board because these people are always available to you because of that relationship so mm-hmm. you take advantage of moving forward and kind of pivoting your competencies that you may need in these positions along your journey as as those needs change within the business as well Got it. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. And, and boy, I love the idea of turning over the board, meaning you have these uh, influencers slash relationships of uh, alumni who've, who've kind of rolled off the board, right? So that's got to have some benefit. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's been awesome, to be honest, because you, you may not need or know, excuse me, what you're going to need in the future. Mm-hmm. The part okay. that I never really fully understood or uh, gave the value to is these individuals, because of their high caliber, also come with a strong Rolodex that can point you in directions, even if they don't have the competency they need. And having the breadth and depth of that Rolodex and those individuals in your corner really help you when you're trying to, to solve complex problems. Gotcha. Makes sense. And so they obviously there's something that pulls them to this, not just compensation. By the way, compensation, is it, uh, and you don't need to give us exactly the numbers, but if you, is it an hourly or is it just a stipend per meeting or something like that? No, it's, it's a straight flat rate per meeting plus expense. Got it. Got it. Straight. Okay. Makes sense. And, and what's your frequency? How often do you have the board gather we started it quarterly, but what mm-hmm. we found is that was a little too frequent for what we needed. And so we moved to three times a year. Gotcha. That three makes months. sense. Yeah, I can see that once you're once you've established. Now how did you how did you grow into the agenda for that board meeting? What what does that look like? And tell me a little bit about the story of how that has changed. Yeah, that's very interesting, Dan. I think the The first meeting was that awkward first date you would go on. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of fumbling through it. You really just rehashed your story. You spent half your meeting making introductions to the different individuals in the room, them telling their stories. And then you kind of lay out one to three talking points. And our talking points that first meeting were really 
just what should our talking points be moving forward? What questions do you have? What are you seeing that we're not? So on and so forth. But then as you get to about your, your third meeting and you're almost a year in at this point, or six months rather, I guess, meeting quarterly, it really starts to gel a little bit. You're, you've communicated between the meetings and you're starting to see what's percolating up with the business. You're feeling more comfortable opening up about what your genuine needs are and your vulnerabilities are. And then you start to get to that high level conversation. Got it. Okay. So it does evolve. So it's not like you're still using the exact same agenda that you had the first time. Our agenda has changed every meeting on whatever we believe our strategic talking points need to be for that meeting. We put all that together in advance. We send it out. They've got two weeks to digest it. And then they come with uh, questions and you rehash for maybe the first half hour. Our meetings are four hours long, half days. And then I would say for about three hours, we get into the, the core talking points. And typically you, you rarely exceed three. Gotcha. And, and so I think a number of our members uh, over the years that I've known them have spoken about how they like to do a board of advisors, but I think they're hesitant because they're so intimidated by what their responsibility is. Do you run the meeting? Are you in a leadership role on that? Um, and, and what do they expect you to be bringing to the table? Yeah, that's a great question, Dan. Uh, answer it i do run the meetings i put out the talking points i i send out the agenda in advance with all the supporting information about the business that's necessary for that meeting so that they do their pre-work when we when we get to the meeting um we we do our best to follow the agenda but i would say only half the time we actually accomplish that there might mm -hmm. be that it makes sense but i'm probably the driving force and they are there from a experience sharing fact-finding and a advisory capacity so if, if they have questions or seeing something that i didn't add to the agenda they are certainly adding that but the majority of the time it's me really using them as my sounding board to become those advisors got it so experience sharing fact-finding and then from that they then provide advisement so that's actually a good blueprint for a uh introductory email to someone to say, hey, I'd like to talk to you about our board. Do you, how do you, uh, well, why don't you tell us about the makeup and the different people you've had on the board through the years and uh, where their backgrounds are? Absolutely. The, when we started this, it was, um, it was certainly a journey that, that had a couple speed bumps and I too was intimidated about the whole thing. Um, through our coaching, we determined that we really needed a couple competencies on our board and we boiled that down to finance banking cash flow management at a high level um, sales and marketing leadership family business leadership in a growth-based organization that was three to five times our size in revenues and then we wanted rental experience a high level rental experience that had had a wide breadth and depth that could advise us because we all like to pretend that the rental industry is totally unique from any other business. And the reality of that is it's true and false, or at least that we've come to believe is there's a lot of, but there is some uniqueness. So having that second individual in the room that understood those dynamics has really helped us articulate that if we started to feel like every 
if the business was all the same and how businesses run. So we were able to find uh, a former president of one of the top 10 largest equipment rental companies in North America, an individual that um, owned and operated one of the top 25 highest ranked sales and marketing leadership training companies in the United States and a former CFO controller of a publicly traded company, as well as a, the president of a family business that was in that cut his teeth in the uniform rental industry, grew to a nine figure business and was part of a non-family leadership role at a strategic level for them. Gotcha. And um, that's outstanding. So, so for people out there, obviously finance important, someone who might be from the banking financing industry, someone who may have some uh, understanding of how to build sales systems and how to go out and uh, help grow the business, family business, as well as rental experience is good. What about um, human resources, organizational behavior? Did you ever have anybody on your board who had those types of skill sets? We have not in an official high level capacity, but one of the mm-hmm. things that was unique in our transition is one of the first strategic hires that we added to our team was a high level HR individual. So we felt that we were in a pretty strong position for that internally. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that makes sense. And then um, uh, how many uh, actually are in the room with you when you do this three time year event? We currently maintain a board of five. The one okay. that I, I omitted earlier on is we have a legacy position. And that role is not have a term limit. Um, that is my father's role. And gotcha. he is deselecting at this stage of the game because his confidence is growing or grown. But um, we have three board members, myself and my father, in the room. Gotcha. Okay. And current your current board... What are the skill sets of those three additional individuals right now? Are they so you do you still have the rental person or they have they rolled off? We, we still have the the high level rental. We still have the sales and marketing leadership. We're actually on our second individual in that sales and marketing leadership. And we have a uh, the family business. We've identified another individual that had a uh, a, a strong growth excavation company. Uh, that was sold about four years ago that has been highly recommended to us to succeed that person in the coming term. Gotcha. Okay. So let's talk briefly about, um, you know, how you use this board. So in 2016, you were, you're, let's say it's 2015, you're four years into leadership, you've been running the main store and um, you start to think about expansion into multi-site. So that conversation, and I'm sure it happened before 2015, but as you start to introduce your theory on multi-site and the value of it, talk us through how that evolved and tell us a little bit about you know, how that grew, whether it be number of employees or uh, uh, total rental sales revenue or anything like that. And then, and then also, especially, sorry about that, especially, you know, how did the board give you feedback as you kind of presented your case? Absolutely. Once, you know, I'd kind of assumed the role of president and for 
a few years, you start to look at it and you start to figure out where the gaps may be in your SWOT and how you want to fill those gaps. So we had some meetings that are um, our board meetings associated with those. And one of the things that we determined was we didn't have the scale that we were likely going to need to protect our our revenue streams, uh, ensure our stability, continue in the succession that we wanted to, so on and henceforth. So we talked about what that needs to look like from a, a predictable, profitable, sustainable standpoint, not a cavalier and, okay, we need to go get it done. What is the cash flow management going to look like? What do the metrics need to be? How are we going to accomplish it? What's the timeline? And it's interesting because I remember the, the frustration and concern and, and borderline fear that my father had as part of that. Um, and I think it helped mitigate that because we had those conversations in those board meetings and there was that, that sounding board for him to be able to hear and those metrics to been established to say, here's what needs to be accomplished on both parties' ends for this to be successful. And we defined what that success was. So when we got to the point where we, we knew what we thought was the best idea, then we started to put the brick and mortar in place and, and execute that plan. And in some capacity, we're still executing that plan. But the board was was very influential in making sure that we knew what it needed to look like at each rung of the ladder instead of just trying to think that we were going to springboard to the second level. Gotcha. Okay, so tell us about that. What did, uh, Physically, what changed? You're, you're operating outside out of Vandalia. Then what happened to the company? Where did you go next? We made the decision that we wanted to start our growth journey in a contiguous network of where we're at. We, uh, we started to, to tax our system and query our ERP to figure out where our revenue was coming from. And we backed into where our profitability was coming from. And then we started to look at what the market would support. And then we identified where that location was that we thought needed to be next. Um, Got we think the process worked reasonably well. So, what we did is kind of refine it a little bit and rinse and repeat. And that's a big part of our current growth strategy today is to see where are the opportunities at in the marketplace? Where do we believe we can support that market from a contiguous network so that we're not just flying solo in that space, but we've got a, a contingency plan with another nearby branch to support it, but not close enough that it's going to cannibalize existing sales at the same time. Yes, that's obviously uh, the golden ticket everybody wants is to figure out how to do that. So you had identified Franklin first, correct? Yes, we were. Vandalia is located in the suburb of North Dayton, Ohio. And mm -hmm. it's interesting. We thought before we studied the data that we would be going north to Lima, where we just recently opened. Mm -hmm. We found out through the data and the analysis that we needed to go to the south side of Dayton which is where Franklin, Ohio is approximately 30 minutes travel radius from Vandalia. Gotcha. And then you, you also have two other footprints, correct? That you're what, and those came after 16. So it was like 2017 or. Yeah. I, I forgive me. I don't know. I believe we opened Sharon, which is a suburb of Northern Cincinnati in 2018. Okay. And, and that gave us another 30-minute travel radius ballpark from our Franklin location. And then in 2019, we were presented with an opportunity to assist another locally-owned rental company that was transitioning out. And we were able to acquire that company in northern Kentucky and absorb uh, them into our system. 
And that was, a, I believe, a healthy acquisition for both parties and allowed us to solidify a southern Cincinnati, northern Kentucky location, again, approximately 30 minutes away. And what we found was based on the, the population density in our model was that that 30 minute travel radius in a densely populated MSA really gave us contiguous capacity and support, but also new and fresh revenue streams at the same time. Now, if there was more ruralness in between, we knew that we needed to, to widen that gap. And then ultimately we decided to go to Lima, Ohio, which is approximately an hour away from us because we built some of the infrastructure to know how to support some of those ancillary branches better. Hmm. Wow. That's quite, ex quite, quite a bit of expansion in a very short period of time. Your, what was your employee count, uh, change from 2011 up to, uh, 2020? What's it, what's it look like now? I believe that in 2011, we were probably close to 30 folks on the team. Mm -hmm. And I would anticipate that we're going to be bored just shy of a hundred here in the coming months. Wow, that's incredible. And, and it's great to have an advisory board to kind of um, use every 90 days or, or so, every 120 days to get kind of some feedback on that. What, what would you consider, um, do you have any examples, other examples of how the advisory board may have come up big for Vandalia in terms of you, you just were perplexed and working on something in your head and you were able to share it with the group? Yeah, absolutely. The, I mean, there's honestly a number of, of things the reality is they are a completely impartial jury and and they will give you their God's honest feedback. Sometimes you have to be careful what you wish for and ask for. Um, I can tell you that we had evaluated other acquisitions and when we ran around the room, there's some that I probably would have moved forward with that ultimately the decision was made that this wasn't the right time or the right one. I know that I had wrestled with years over my my personal feelings on environmental fees within the industry and the value they provided some of the, our downstream customer base. And ultimately it was a, a push from our board of advisors that it was a single question. And, and I remember to this day where I was asked, are you selling what your customers are willing to buy or are you selling what you want to sell? Hmm up and, and noodled on that question I had to answer it honestly and I said well I think by not moving forward I'm I'm selling what I want to sell and the follow-up question so if I hear you right you're making a strategic decision to disadvantage your team and their growth I love it it's it's like a business conscience that you have <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome because it, it there's so many uh, people out there who are you know their own they're the owner operator of the business maybe they have one coach or somebody who's providing some uh, help to them. Obviously, we promote peer groups. We want you to have a peer group as a as an informal board of directors. But unfortunately, it, it's not you know at this at this level, right? So you get to meet them twice a year and you and you can communicate throughout the year. But um, but man, it's just amazing to hear you talk about this advisory group and and uh, how you guys keep growing as a company. So. Um, any any last words for our members regarding advisory boards? I, I'll tell you one quick one that you just touched on. We find it invaluable to have that peer group and advisory board balance. 
because you get two different things out of both. And our peer group, which we belong to a, an incredibly strong and beneficial peer group, allows us to seek that high level industry knowledge and we can ferret through there. And sometimes we find things out that we didn't even ask about just through observation and, and what takes place in the room. In our board of advisory meetings, we come in with a blank slate and a, a breadth and depth of experiences that allow us to blend those thoughts, observations, and opinions that we feel helps the cream rise and the best decisions to be made. Hmm. From, from a clarifying standpoint, I think that both have tremendous value. Um, and the value of both together is the, the sweet spot for us. I would tell anyone that's considering it that um, if you do your pre-work and you put together a good solid presentation, your, your SWOT, your market analysis, your history, your plans, your story, to go out there and, and really identify those, those roles that would help you grow and succeed. And once you do that and you feel confident that those are the roles then look externally at, at who and how those individuals might be. And what I've been flabbergasted about, honestly, is the absolute willingness of these high caliber individuals to take your appointments, to listen to your story and have a genuine desire to help. We our, our compensation for our board meetings is is very minimal. It's it's not what these folks do it for. Some will ask you to dare, donate them the money to a charity. I mean, frankly, a lot of them don't need the money, but what they do get satisfaction out of is watching individuals grow and succeed and helping put their fingerprints on that next level and next layer and next generation of business that they can share that knowledge that they have. It's, it's been amazing to me. Even the folks that we've reached out to and said, you're not our guy after we talked, I would have thought that would have been something that they would have taken offense to. And I've been shocked how much it isn't and they continue to be an advocate for you just because you asked them to do so wow so once you do the pre-work and you go out there and just ask the questions just be honest and tell them you're going to fumble through it a little bit and accept that you will and just like you asked them to do they'll guide you through it and you'll come out stronger for having done it it's it's been a phenomenal experience that had it not been recommended to us as part of a requirement of, of succession plan that we had to do I'm not certain we would have bit it off because of that intimidation. And I, I'm incredibly thankful that we did. Excellent. Well, we uh, know your time is valuable. We appreciate your 30 minutes today. And uh, again, we appreciate you in the peer groups, uh, the years you've been involved, as well as your leadership team, which participates in some of our leader groups. Uh, again, just tremendous information tonight today. Hey, everybody, that was Kurt Barney from Vandalia Rental. And uh, thanks again, Kurt. Uh, thanks, Dan, for having me. I appreciate it. And we're going to be back next week with yet another episode of Peer Talk. Goodbye. You've been listening to Peer Talk from Peer Executive Groups, produced and directed by Noah Crowley and hosted by Dan Crowley. Subscribe to this podcast for notifications of future episodes of Peer Talk.